Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Absolute thrill to have uh, our next guest on. Uh, I remember just kicking around Bendigo when I first heard the news that Mick McGowan was going to come and coach Gisborne. What a coup that was. And I still remember uh, hearing that and then seeing uh, how well he served that club for many a year. And he's a name that continues to come up when people talk about coaches um, and getting experienced coaches back in uh, to the AFL landscape. And people point to what Mark Williams has been able to do with the Demons. And a lot of people, when they ring up this show, you often bring up the name Mick McGuan. 155 games for the Pies. He was a Pies Premiership player, two-time Copeland Trophy winner and All-Australian and Goal of the Year, of course, in 1994. An absolute thrill to have Mick McGuan on. Hello, Mick. G'day, Sammy. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. I appreciate it. I get a real thrill and I enjoy reading your articles every week um, as you look ahead to the games. And I often look back on your article when I look back on the games and go, well, he's nailed it again. He's absolutely nailed it again. So I thought we'd get we'd get you on and just go through um, how you saw the prelims over the weekend. And I want to take you back to what you said in your article. And we'll start with the D's and the Cats on Friday night. And we'll start with the D's. You said the key to them was to own turnover. You said the theme for them was pressure. And you said the challenge was take away Geelong's control. And you said the X factor was Cozzy Pickett. Well, you couldn't have picked the eyes out of that any better, Mick. It's exactly what happened. Yeah, it's amazing. Sometimes you say something that falls into place and sometimes you say something that doesn't occur uh, but doesn't necessarily mean it's right or wrong. Uh, But I think when you get to this point into the season, I've always been a firm believer, Sam, there's three things that you have to master as a playing group and Mm. a coaching staff. From a player's perspective, you've got to control contest, you've got to control ball use, and you've also got to make a choice and a real strong choice about the pressure you apply to your opposition. And if you get those three facets right, generally you win a finals game of footy. And as we witnessed with the Demons against the Cats the other night, I think it's fair to say they controlled those three. Uh, Very simple themes, uh, but they mastered their ball use, they mastered the pressure, and they were outstanding in the contest where they were plus 30 in contested possessions against a disappointing Geelong outfit. What else impressed you about the Demons? It, it, before what we saw the night after, but it still stacks up, probably one of the most complete and comprehensive prelim um, performances that we've seen in a long time, Mick. Sammy, I don't think I've seen a team run as hard for as long mm. in a game of footy in the last month of the year like the Melbourne Demons have got. So full credit to Darren Burgess to get the list fit and healthy at this stage of the year, which you need to need to be, but also the health looks really positive, except probably for Stephen May with that slight concern he had in that game. But generally speaking, their best players look vibrant, they look fit, they look healthy. And I think a great example of that, we can easily go to Gorn and Petrarca and also Oliver, also Salem, Hunt of uh, Salem, uh, Salem, Chris and Salem of half back. But when you look at sort of the performance of, say, Jack Viney, who I felt... He was one of the best two or three players on the ground at half time. Yep. I was really impressed how he was covering the ground as well because sometimes I look at him, whether he's carrying an injury or not, he looks laborious and he looks probably a little bit slow on the transitional part of the game, either in offence or defence. 
But I thought Jack didn't look out of sorts. He looked healthy, covering the ground really well. He was great inside, but he complemented their ball movement with some outside options as well. So I thought when you look at the game, purely from a health perspective, I like to see how players are covering the ground. Sometimes players at this time of year can run through it and they look like 5 or 10% off the speed of the game, like Port Adelaide were against uh, the Western Bulldogs the next night. But I just felt the Demons covering the ground, it was just a credit to see. But when you get the ball used right to match with the speed you got across the ground, gee, you're a potent force. And that's the reason why they comprehensively dismantled uh, the Geelong team because once they got the ball into open space and they had numbers to support their run and carry, uh, they just went from coast to coast too many times and that's the reason why they scored at will. Mick, you've seen every facet of footy and you understand how serious it is. We understand that it's a big business. We understand there's a lot at stake. But every now and then, you get an individual who just brings joy and laughter and amazement to your lounge room or if you're there live. It was a rare treat, wasn't it? It was a real treat to see Max Gorn do what Max Gorn did. The Cats still had a bit of a sniff at half-time, I thought. I didn't think they were completely done just yet. Well, Max's four goals in the third quarter and the manner in which he kicked them, the dare to dream and the backing in of players to to take a game on and to, to you know, take a risk and to, to, to look to play above and beyond themselves is really evident in this side and no one epitomised that more than Max. I was just laughing in joy of what I was seeing <laughs> and, and, and seeing what he was doing. Did you feel the same thing? Absolutely. And I, I sit back and I'm... I marvel at his personal growth Yep. from probably being a jovial character initially who made some poor decisions early on with his preparation. Didn't mind a, a dart from all, yes. the, all accounts, loved the smoke, probably enjoyed a beer at the wrong time too. But to see what he's grown into, I think he's widely respected as one of the great leaders of our competition, the way he goes about it. And I suppose his personality is so infectious mm. with the, you know, the, the composure and the poise that comes with his personality, I reckon has a calming influence on younger players, even some senior players at the pointy end of the season, because you can waste so much nervous energy if you get caught up in the moment far too early. You can play the game over in your head before it actually is played. But I think Max has got this ability to declutter a lot of things that you can't control and just focus on enjoying the moment, staying relaxed, be in control of your preparation and let yourself exhibit your skills on match day and come out of yourself and be the free spirit that each and every individual's got. And then all of a sudden, when you get the sum of the parts, all playing to their maximum levels, this is the type of results you get. But I think it becomes an extension of your leadership group and Max as the captain, I reckon he's the forefront of that. Speaking to Mick McGuire, you can read his articles uh, online every Thursday, heraldsun.com.au and in Friday's Herald Sun in the print edition... Uh, Mick, all right, on the spot this one, but can you think of a better individual prelim final performance than Max's? Uh, not not by the goal return. I'd, no one really springs out. Everyone refers back to the Mason Cox versus Richmond game. And what was that, 2017, wasn't it? I think way back then, 2018. 18, was, yep. That was a great return when he dominated that forward 50 in the air. Um, but I think in terms of a Ruckman pushing forward... Different types of goals, you know, Markin acutely aware of keeping his head in the game when it was touch, he played on, not many other people 
knew it was tough, so they stood still. He went on, kicked a snap goal from 35 metres. People run to him, generates enthusiasm, demoralises the opposition, so it has a twofold effect. You get involved in offensive chains when Petraka works around to his left side on a stoppage, but Max's uh, concentration, he stays involved again, gets a handball received, runs to sort of 50 and kicks a long goal. And then all of a sudden he finds himself in a Ford 50 stoppage, out muscles and out is too strong for Blixarves, wins possession of the ball, understands he has no one to give the footy to, but to quickly throw it onto his boot to kick a goal from the boundary line angle that not many great players could kick themselves, but he'd done it under pressure. It just had it all. And to see the excitement of him, the joy in his face with what he did, but also the teammates run to him, it just goes to show that they're a team full of unity. It's not about the person who kicks it. It's about how well we get them and how we make make things happen. And I just thought Max's game the other night, probably in the um, short term, without thinking long and hard about your question, it would have to go down as one of the great preliminary final performances. So what about the Cats? Uh, in your article, you said that the key to them was control stoppage and win contested possession. You said they had to have faith and belief... Uh, and, you, and you said that the biggest challenge for them was going to be how do they enter Ford 50? And they went at 25% inside 50 efficiency, Mick, and mm. it would seem that you nailed those keys for them, but they didn't nail those. No, well, that's right. We we requested they had to be strong around clearance. Well, they won the clearance numbers. They were plus four in clearances. They were plus five in centre bounce. But they absolutely got smashed with scores against, which was a telling factor the week before. Um, against or the two weeks before when they played Port Adelaide. Yeah, they were plus 80 in clearance against Port Adelaide, but they allowed Port Adelaide to kick five goals seven, yet they could only score seven points themselves. So for that result on the weekend wasn't a, an alarming issue for, for me because I thought two weeks earlier, lessons should have been learned. What could they have done around stoppage? Could they have brought out an extra number to nullify... You know, Wally Wines and Boat two weeks earlier, they decided not to. They did the same against um, Melbourne on the weekend. I thought there was lapses in concentration to allow so many good players to be free at clearance. Viney won some um, free clearances on centre wing. He runs the ball to a 1v1 situation. Of course, the Geelong defender has to come at the ball carrier. But then all of a sudden, he leaves the player that he was starting on and all of a sudden Viney handles over the top, which kickstarts the offence from Melbourne standpoint. Go to the forward 50. You're 20 metres, 25 metres out from goal directly in front. And James Harms comes at the back of the defensive setup, and all of a sudden he's free. No high half forward comes to engage him and round him up. Back fee, ball gets spilt to him, and has an open look at an open goal, and he converts that opportunity. You see Cameron Guthrie in general play try to run with an opponent, just couldn't go with him, didn't want to go with him. Kasaya Pickett, Ford 50, all by himself, pushes through the line of ball, wins it, spills to Petrarca. Petrarca versus Dangerfield doesn't go with him and kicks a banana goal on the run. There were so many reasons as to why the application to really strong defence wasn't there, and that's the reason why the Demons totally controlled scores from stoppage, which I didn't see coming going into the game because I thought the Cats maybe had the the ability to win contested possession and also win clearance. But the thing that really hurt them was their post-clearance contested possession differential. It was evident to my eye the ageing legs to get from a 0-2 metre radius outside stoppage to get the ball when it's built into open space 15 or 20 metres from where the initial contest took place. The ball gets built into that area. The power 
using the legs of Oliver, Petrarca, Harms, Viney, was just evident for everyone to see. The Cats midfielders just couldn't run with them. So, Mick, I want to get to, obviously, Port Adelaide and the Western Bulldogs. So let me set up a hypothetical for you. Yeah, and let's just say that yep. Chris Scott's sitting there at the moment going, right, so this whole control versus chaos thing, I've got a really strict and rigid game style. We like to defend with ball in hand. We like to be slow and methodical, but it can't win me a prelim. It wins me semis, doesn't win me qualifiers. Uh, doesn't win me uh, prelims. So, and he rings you up and says, what do you reckon? Should I change it up here? Can, can control ever beat chaos? What, what do you reckon I need to do moving forward? What would you say? I'd certainly make the adjustment and challenge him on that because I think they've got so many pure ball, ball winners in front of the ball. I don't reckon they give them enough service at a rapid rate to make them isolated in 1v1 situations. I know they're trying to protect turnover, maybe because they're trying to protect their ageing list mm. because their reaction time isn't as great across the ground and even mindset-wise they mightn't be in that space. You just look, you just look at the, you know, the age demographic of who played on the weekend, the, you know, the 200 gamers plus Melbourne's group who've had 200 gamers. You look at the age profile of over 25 versus under 25. It all favoured Geelong in terms of experience. So it's about when you win, it's always experience. But if you lose comprehensively like that, it's about age. <laughs> yes. So as much as you've got evidence to suggest that they do a lot right, in the games that matter, when the stakes are higher, there's one thing that goes through the roof in terms of numbers, and that's contested ball numbers because uncontested drops, because the pressure's so high, and the tackle rate, the effective tackle rate, in-your-face type of stuff, denying time and space to really impose yourself in the contest, that goes high. So your control game will go away. And if you then can't revert to the chaos game when the ball lives on the ground and get after it, particularly post-clearance in contested ball situations, you will get exposed. So you maybe have to look at the model of your team and you may have to look at, we've got Markle, we've got Jordan Clark. Do we have to give Holmes more games? Who else can we bring in? Constable, does he play more midfield forward so it allows Dangerfield to play forward? To get their run and carry play going again, do we look at Rowan to go from a non-competitive forward? And let's face it, let's put the facts on the table. He's been disappointing in games that matter. Do you get him behind the ball where he started his career at Sydney, where we knew he could be a high halfback who can run, penetrate and play with great depth and dare? Maybe they've got their tools at their disposal, but maybe they've just become so pigeonholed in areas of the ground that's been successful. And let's face it, when you keep winning games like they have, it is easy to become a victim of your own success. And maybe that's where it's got Geelong too. So some hard decisions might have to take place in terms of turning over the older statesmen within their club to create opportunities for this next generation of players to come through. Because I think they're on their list, but I think you have to marry up those players that come in to suit the style that the Geelong Footy Club must become. Yep, and they've quietly just uh, today re-signed uh, Gary Rowan as well. So that that is something I think that they're going to have to have a look at. How do they get the best out of him in the games that matter most? Hey, let's turn our attention, Mick, to, to, to Saturday night because uh, as impressive as Melbourne were on Friday, the dogs are almost equally so. So they've been in five states in 12 days. They couldn't train. Their best key defenders out and their skippers under an injury cloud. Their most dynamic small forward with the X factor. He's out of the side as well. Uh, they've been away from family. They've been away from friends. Never has a tougher road to a prelim been walked. And conversely, never has an easier path to a prelim been experienced from the other mob. So... What did you make of, of, of the opening quarter? Because I think we all sat there stunned that Western Bulldogs had this game wrapped up with 14.45 on the clock as they kicked five goals to none and Port were nowhere. 
Yeah, I thought the Western Bulldogs assaulted the preliminary final like good teams need to do, particularly on the road in a hostile environment. And the other team, Port Adelaide, maybe just got used to what they were being told throughout the course of the week. The soft underbelly it sometimes can create because mm. that word complacency creeps in. And more so when you hear about one of their key defensive planks in um, Alex Keith getting removed from the team due to injury, that also can soften the mentality of how you approach a game, thinking it might be easier because one of their key pillars is not playing. But the way the Western Bulldogs assaulted the game was just really like an us-versus-them mentality. Yep. They would have produced one of their best performances this year. Uh, they got really strong around the contest right from the first bounce. But the most important thing they capitalised on was when they went forward, particularly with the four turnovers they, they created, they scored on the back of those. Yep. Because the ball use of Port Adelaide was ordinary. They just gave up too many easy uh, possessions to the opposition based on poor decisions, but more importantly, poor execution. Aaliyah Raleigh comes to mind on a couple of occasions, who had a disappointing game considering how good he was going into this game. But full credit to the Bulldogs. They were brutal around the contest. To be plus 23 in contested ball at quarter time, that was a signature statement within the game. But I think the most pleasing aspect was not only their contested ball differential throughout the course of the game, but their conversion. They just scored the goals to get the team up and about to give them that hope, that hope to go into uh, every break. And they dominated you know, every 30-minute stanza, basically, and they knew they were going to win it from a long way out. So, Mick, I know that when the games start, you'd be looking at, okay, what are we employing here tactically? What's the scout? Mm -hmm. What are they doing for this team specifically? They were really happy with what they did against Geelong, Port Adelaide. You know, Chad Corns was on SENSA with Brother Kane saying, oh, we really got the scout right, we really implemented a plan and we executed it well. You are far more learned in this area than I, but I, for the life of me, can't figure out what plan, if any, they deployed to take away the Dogs' major strengths. They didn't put anybody to Bont, Libba or McRae in that first bounce, and, and that really set the tone. They didn't make anything uncomfortable for the Western Bulldogs at all when that's what they'd been experiencing for the last four weeks. They'd been uncomfortable. Um, I couldn't see for the life of me what they'd done. Could you see? Yeah, to be perfectly honest, Sammy, I wasn't surprised with their opening bounce on ball brigade because basically they did the same in round 23 mm. with sort of grey, boke and wines, uh, complementing Scotty Lysette. So I thought that would happen at the start to get your best you know, starters of a game, your initiators of a game in and around the contest to get their hands on it and feel a part of it. Plan B was always going to be off the bench comes Will and Drew, which he's basically done all year. Um, so sometimes we overthink that this may happen and when it doesn't happen, mm. there's an uproar. But Kenny's given belief to his players, which he is yep. a faith coach, and there's nothing wrong with that. So what I was surprised about, because they're such, they've always been such an ag aggressive, assertive team defence, when the Western Bulldogs rolled up their high half forwards, and we'll use Adam Trelaw for an example, and even Bailey Smith for that matter at times, to give them two extra numbers or one extra number numerical advantage around the stoppage between the arcs or even just on the edge of their D50 arc, they sort of left Burn Jones or Houston behind the ball freed up. But I thought it just gave them a chance to, one, win the clearance and get good territory out of it, but to get their offensive game going through effective handball. And then that forces the defence to come at the ball carrier because if they were labouring out of stoppage on their chase, they just got too much ground in front of the ball in that situation to use the ball effectively. The opposition had to make decisions. Do we retreat or do we press up? But by the time they pressed up, they couldn't impact the ball carrier, which opened up space behind. 
and then they were kicking to 1v1s and generally it was either Norton versus his opponent in McKenzie or in this case Shackie who'd done a great role to make Alira Lear accountable. They gave one-on-one looks all over the ground. So I just think they probably struggled from a midfield coaching perspective to get the layout of the ground right at critical stages because I just can't believe they can give good players around the footy, especially like a team like the Bulldogs who win first possession. But if you give them two or three extra players around the stoppage that are unaccounted for, that just kicks their offence into gear and away they go. Oh, Mick, it's been wonderful having you on. And there's a lot of text echoing that sentiment, saying they're loving the insight, fascinating. The one question that keeps coming up, though, and I know you get sick of answering it, but humorous, if you will, why aren't you in the AFL at the moment? Oh, I really haven't been in. I loved it when I was down at St Kilda with Grant Thomas and Matty Rendell and Jason Cripps, who's now uh, Port Adelaide list manager, and also um, Jason Biffsart. That experience was great. Yeah. Um, really enjoyed the Saints. Love working with Lukey Bull and Brendan Goddard, Nick Del Sando, uh, Rob Harvey. You know, we played on each other a hell of a lot. And all of a sudden, it went pear shaped because of the Grant Thomas and uh, Rod Butters situation and the political minefield that it become. Really was disappointing. And then I got that opportunity to work at um, as a co-host on a breakfast show with the RSN Network. And I always been a believer when you've got a decision to make, you either shoot or get shot. And when you know that there's a new coach coming in and at that stage there was four in the coaching sphere for the St Kilda job and that was Ross Lyon, John Longmire, Guy McKenna and um, also um, Chris Bond. Uh, that was the talk at the time. And by the time they decided who was going to go down what path of coach they wanted to get, I had to make a decision at that same stage. So I went with the decision of going down the Brecky um, host, show, uh, host path and I had to go down that because I wasn't sure whether it be Ross Lyon get the job or uh, Johnny Longmire get the job that I was going to keep my job at St Kilda so that's where it ended and then I wanted to coach local footy because I just love the coaching of it and I've been at the Keelwell Footy Club for 14 years now and in that period we've etched out probably 12 players that have had AFL careers to this point because we put a lot of work into the junior program there but also yep. the senior body and that's my dream. I just love seeing young fellas work hard, challenge them to get better. I've got a young bloke at 14 years of age that's living the dream and I want to support him as much as I can. And if it becomes a father-son situation, I'll be over the moon, but I want to put as much time as I can in to give, give him the chance to live the very dream I lived many, many years ago. Mick, I absolutely love it. I love that that's where your your heart is because it's only for the betterment of the game that we have people like yourself in suburban and country footy. So it's a wonderful thing, mate. And so has been this chat. Really appreciate it. I've got to let you go, but but thank you so much. We'll speak to you again soon. Good on you, Sammy. Take care, mate. Thanks for having us. Uh, it's an absolute pleasure. The pleasure all ours. The great Mick McGowan, what an insight that is. A fantastic footy brain has Mick, and it's a pleasure to have him share that with us. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.